0: I've got something heavy on me that I need to get off. Weight pressed against my chest, making me cough. Flat on my back and trapped between what's stacking up on top and the ground and I'm hacking up a lung to stay around. Caught between a rock and a hard place, but I've got to keep pressing on in any case. Because I'm not going home with defeat on my face. I've come too far in this race. I've cut open my chest, dug in with my hands, and pulled out my heart for men. Then punctured the surface for truth to bleed out to whomever I found as a friend. I've shaken the shoulders of anyone willing to stop and look into my eyes. In hopes that some comfort would flow from their lips and would solace my desperate cries and break accusations and fears that were cast over me in an effort to take me out and decree that these shackles of pain and the past would release me to fly from this prison of doubt. I got something heavy on me that I need to get off. Weight pressed against my chest, making me cough. Flat on my back and trapped between what's stacking up on top and the ground. And I'm hacking up a lung to stay around. (gasps) Caught between a rock and a hard place, but I got to keep pressing on in any case. Because I'm not going home with defeat on my face. I've come too far in this race. (sighs) Caught between a rock and a hard place, but I got to keep pressing on in any case because I'm not going home with defeat on my face. I've come too far in this race. I've climbed a few mountains and run to the seas to cry out to this big universe. Crumbled in despair and been knocked to my knees as these hunger pains only grew worse. We all have been broken from hoping love is real. And yet, we still climb.
1: Desperation is a really, really powerful thing. We, we kicked off uh, four weeks ago on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've been working our way through the Beatitudes to start off with, and we'll probably be staying in the Sermon on the Mount probably till this time next year. Desperation is a, is a, is a very powerful thing, and I, I think sometimes it can be a, an important thing, a spiritual quality. We looked at poor in spirit. Blessed those who are poor in spirit. We looked at those blessed those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This week, we're looking at the importance of being passionate for righteousness. Desperate. There was a guy called Mark, and he fell in love with a girl called Mary. And for years, he had liked this girl. Years and years. Eventually, he plucked up the courage to ask her out. After years of liking her, and she, and she liked him so she said yeah at last thank you so they started dating anyway he knew he wanted to marry this girl he knew from year one i want to marry this girl five six years passed he just couldn't pluck up the carriage to ask her 10 years later he eventually managed to pick up the phone and he couldn't even do it face to face over the phone now she was utterly desperate so he picks up the phone and says hello is that mary and i said this is mary I said, will you marry me? I said, sure. Who is this? <laughs> Desperation. Desperation can be a very, very good and important thing. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. God, I praise we take time just to ponder this verse, dig into the Bible, I pray that you would speak to us. I pray you change us from the inside out. God, I pray for those who are, don't know you here today. I pray that today they would make one of the biggest decisions they could ever make in their lives and say yes to you, Jesus. I pray for those who do know you. I pray that we would grow in you today, God. Speak to us, God. Help us to hear. Help me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me say that there's a hunger in our world. There is a desperation in our world. Pascal, the French philosopher, said this, that there is a God-shaped vacuum inside every human heart. I believe that human beings have a neediness. I believe that neediness, as Pascal said, is a neediness for God. But they haven't necessarily put those two together. So what's happened is we've pursued all sorts of stuff other than God. We've pursued hallucinogenic drugs. We've gone for cinematic experiences... We've gone for great, exciting, dramatic holidays. We're doing everything we can to try and satisfy this yearning on the inside, and yet we're doing everything but come to God. Satan's lie is more than that. Satan's lie is this, that you pursue sin, and you'll find satisfaction. The yearning you've got in here, pursue every kind of pleasure and sin, and then you'll find satisfaction. That's completely the flip opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you'll be satisfied. But Satan says, pursue sin and you'll find satisfaction. C.S. Lewis says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery, is the long and terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, whenever you put pleasure before righteousness... You'll be doomed to misery. The way I see it is suppose you had a dreadful disease. Suppose you were inflicted with a horrendous disease. And your disease was giving you huge amounts of pain. So you go to the the hospital and you're doing everything you can to alleviate this pain. The doctor comes along, he's the expert. If all he did was give you painkillers, then he'd be an awful doctor all he did was try to take the pain away, then he would be a criminal doctor. What his main agenda should be is to deal with the pain and need to cure the disease. His main agenda, while he might try and deal with some of the pain, his main agenda is to cure the very disease that's giving you the pain in the first place. In other words, to be pain free, you need to have the disease dealt with in your soul. So what he does is he cures the disease. And that's more important than getting a painkiller. The problem in humanity is deep. And Jesus is giving us a solution to cure the disease. Whereas the world just says, pursue pleasures, plaster over the wounds, take the painkillers to numb the pain, to numb the sense of dissatisfaction, to take away somehow that sense of something's missing. But Jesus says, face it head on. Jeremiah puts it this way, Jeremiah 2, 12 to 13. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. Jeremiah identifies that human beings have done two big issues. They've rejected God, who they actually is the one who can give them the satisfaction. He's the one, he's the source of living waters. And instead, they've come up with their own counterfeit ways of getting satisfaction in life. That's the problem in humanity. Now, among Christians, we see similar things. So we see Christians' view of righteousness as, well, righteousness is some old-fashioned pursuit for only pious, legalistic people. Righteousness, that's kind of out of date. So instead, Christians spend their time pursuing blessing or satisfaction. Notice Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So what many Christians have done is they've pursued blessing and satisfaction, but not realizing that they're the byproducts of a different pursuit. The pursuit of righteousness results in those. So Christians have pursued the wrong things. So we go from conference to conference looking for a touch, looking for a blessing. We go places pursuing experiences. Now listen, I'm up for that. I want to be touched. I want to be blessed. I want experiences. But there's a bigger pursuit that Jesus is calling us to go for. And the other stuff comes as well. If you were in a a desert, you wouldn't be thinking, I fancy champagne and caviar. You'd be thinking, I need water. You see, blessing and a touch from God and Feelings and goosebumps and all that, and all these other good things are secondary. But there's something more basic and more essential to human life, like food and drink is to the human body. It's righteousness. So we've got a hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus said. Now, why should we do that? Why is this hunger and thirst there? Why is there an inbuilt desire for something else? The reason is there is a global famine. You see, imagine. I was to arrive in some famine-stricken part of the world, and I was to see kids dying around me of starvation, and I was to be deeply moved, and I'm really upset, thinking, this is wrong that kids are suffering, kids aren't happy, this is not right. Then what I do is I think, right, well, I've got my money, so what I'll do is I'll build my a play park. Imagine I went and built my play park, slides and swings and kind of ball pools and bought them some PS2s. Oh, that'll make them happy. You know, you'd, you'd be thinking, that's wrong. You'd be thinking, that's, that's, it's, not even, it's not even not, not right. It's, it's immoral that that money was spent on a play park. It would be just the craziest thing. In the middle of an arid desert, kids starving to death and then swings and slides in the middle of it. That would be the craziest thing. And yet, it's so inappropriate, it's the same as someone pursuing blessing and satisfaction above something more basic, Righteousness pursuing secondary things is just as inappropriate and appalling in the sight of God instead of pursuing righteousness. There is a spiritual famine in human ma- humankind. Jesus flips the, the Beatitudes in Luke's gospel, chapter 6, 25, and he says this, Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. So the people who think, I'm satisfied, I've got it all, I don't need God, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm he says, Whoa, that's dangerous. It's like the it's, it's totally and utterly inappropriate when there's a famine on to say, I'm fine. It's appropriate to say, I hunger. You see, basic for human survival is food and drink, and basic for human spiritual survival is righteousness. It's essential. The Bible says, in Mark ten eighteen. This is the fact about humanity. Humanity is starved of righteousness. Jesus speaking says, "No one is good except God alone." In Romans three ten, Paul writes and says, "There is no one righteous, not even one." Now that cuts against the grain of everything our society's taught us. You go into Gorgy Road tomorrow and ask some people: Are human beings fundamentally good, or fundamentally evil? Are human beings intrinsically wicked? or intrinsically good. I would put money on it that the vast majority of human beings, you ask, will say, ah, human beings are fundamentally good. We're not fundamentally evil. And yet that's totally contrary to what the Bible says. Imagine Jesus met you one day, and he gave you a blank credit card. And on that blank credit card, he said, write the name of the most evil person you could ever imagine. So at the bottom of the card, so what would you write? You'd write Adolf Hitler, right? So you write Adolf Hitler, and there it appears. So you've written Hitler on the bit bottom of your credit card. And then Jesus said, now at the top of the credit card, write the name of the most morally righteous person you could ever imagine. And you wrote, <laughs> you wrote Karl Martin. Or Mother Teresa, who's very like Carl. Karl. Minus the tea towel. So you would say Mother Teresa; she, she would be at the top, and then Jesus would say, "So, where are you? Put yourself where on the scale? Are you closer to Hitler? Or are you closer to? Are you, as good, are you as good as Mother Teresa? Are you above her? Are you, are you just below her?" So you'd think, you know, I don't want to put myself too close to Mother Teresa because that's a bit arrogant and cocky. So what I'll do is I'll put myself a little bit above halfway. So you write me, just round about, just a bit above halfway, not to appear too cocky. So that's your scale of morality. There's Hitler at the bottom. There's Mother Teresa at the top. And there's you a little bit beyond halfway. We're not all that bad, really. Human beings aren't intrinsically evil. And then Jesus says, right now, come with me to the top of the Wallace Monument. And he puts the little credit card at the base of the Wallace Monument lying against the stone. And he takes you to the very top. And there from the top, he says, there's your little card at the bottom there. And up at the top here, this is the righteousness of God. This is God's standard. This is what God calls morality. So there's your little scale down at the bottom. (laughs) And you suddenly get perspective. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. There is a famine in humanity. That's the problem. And that's why Jesus said we must hunger and thirst for righteousness. So, what should our response be to this famine? Well, it should be an intense hunger and thirst. Jesus said, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied." Now, the reality is, in the time when Jesus is speaking, seventy percent of people living in Palestine were way below the, the poverty line. It was dire poverty. In those days, under, especially under Roman oppression, you know, people weren't living in luxuries. People were paying huge amounts of taxes to the Romans who were oppressing them, and they were surviving. People weren't working to buy luxuries. People were working to put food on their table. That was the reality of life in Palestine when Jesus walked the earth. And when Jesus said, Bless those who hunger and thirst, they understood that metaphor. We don't understand that. See, they understood times when the money wasn't as, as abundant and they were literally starving. They understood that. We don't get that today. You know, you, think, you say, I'm starving because it's five minutes past your lunchtime. <laughs> I'm starving and what we, we, we kind of snack between meals because we were oh, starving man it's two hours till tea I've just had lunch half an hour ago man I need a snack I'm starving we, this, we've lost this metaphor but when Jesus was saying blessed are those who hunger and thirst he was speaking to a bunch of people who understood what it was to, to work hard to put food on the table and they understood hunger and thirst they understood the reality and the feeling and the emotion of that the word hunger that he uses there in the Greek language, is piano. Sounds like an instrument. It means to be famished, to crave ardently. The word thirst is dipseo, which means to be painfully feel their want of or to eagerly long after, long for. This, was, this isn't just kind of on the fence, hungry and thirsty. This is like we would use it, oh, I'm starving, kind of 10 minutes after lunch. This is people who desperately know their needs. This is people who are longing for something so desperately their life depends on it. Here's a, an extract from a book called The Last Crusade by Major Gilbert, and he describes the British liberation of Palestine in World War I. Listen to this description. He says, driven up from Bathsheba, which is in the south, a combined force of British Australians and New Zealanders were, pass- were pressing on the rear of the Turkish retreat over arid desert. The attack out distance, the water-carrying camel train. Water bottles were empty. <clears throat> Sun blazed pitilessly out of the sky where vultures wielded expectantly. Our heads ached. Our eyes became bloodshot and dim because of the blind glare, blinding glare. Our tongues began to swell. Our lips turned purplish black and burst. Those who dropped out of the column were never seen again. But the desperate forces battled on to Shiera. There were wells in Shiera, and if they were not able to take that place by nightfall, thousands were doomed to die. We fought that day, writes Gilbert, as men fight for their lives. At last, we entered Shiera. The first objects which met our view were the great stone cisterns full of cold, clear drinking water. And in the still night air, the sound of the water running into the tanks could be distinctly heard, maddening in its nearness." Yet not a man murmured when the orders were given that the battalion should fall in line. The wounded were to drink first, and then the guards who were on duty, and then it was company by company. That was the order, and it took four hours for the last man until he had drunk from the water. In all that time, they'd been standing only feet away from the stone uh, cisterns filled with water. I believe, Major Gilbert continues, that we learned our first real biblical lesson on the march from Bathsheba to Shier as wells. If such were our thirst for God, he wrote, our, for righteousness, for his will in our lives, a consuming, all-embracing, preoccupying desire, how rich in the fruit of the Spirit would we be? David, similarly, in Psalm 63, verse 1, Psalm's introduced in this way, it says, a Psalm of David, when he was in the desert of Judah, Oh God, you are my God, Earnestly, I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. David's walking through a desert place. He's probably experiencing physical thirst and hunger, and he ponders, and he thinks, "Man, I feel that intense for God." So there's a famine, a global famine. There's no righteous. And it's only appropriate, therefore, that we thirst and hunger with great passion and intensity because of this deep hunger. Two weeks ago, I was dropping Becky at school, and one of the mums came up to me and said, excuse me, are you a minister? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, my little girl has been asking every night big questions about God. She can hardly sleep at night. She's asking me about heaven and hell and God and what life's about. Have you got any ideas of how we could help her? So I gave her a few suggestions. I gave her a book. gave her an invitation to church. Hopefully, I don't know if you're here today. Hopefully, she'll come along. But isn't that amazing? Before a kid gets told they can't hunger and thirst for God, before a kid gets told to get real and not believe in that kind of spooky fairy tale stuff, What comes naturally from a child's soul? Hunger and thirst for truth of God. It's normal for human beings to be passionate for their God. The weird ones are the ones who aren't. Human beings were wired to know God. As Pascal said, there is a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. Hunger and thirst. Augustine says, we are made for you, O gods, and our hearts are restless until we have found the rest in you. So here's the journey we've been on. Jesus starts the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For this is the kingdom of heaven. You're someone who recognizes, I've got nothing without God. And then you go on and say, man, I'm a sinner. So you mourn over your sin. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, Jesus said. And now we're finding, you've, you've done the negative, you've looked at the negative, now you're pursuing the positive. You're saying, God, I long for the answer. Now I've seen the problem. Now I long for the answer. I want to pursue after righteousness. So how do you pursue that righteousness? Well, I believe many people in our world have pursued it wrongly. It's resulted in religiousness. It's resulted in legalism. That desire for righteousness has resulted in religions springing up all over our worlds. This is the wrong pursuit of righteousness. Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. But many have outworked that In religious legalism, and it's just brought death. This is what God says about religiousness, religious legalism. Isaiah 64, verse 6. All our righteous acts are like filthy rags. In the Hebrew, the word for filthy is ed. It doesn't look like ed in the Hebrew, it's got lots of little lines and dashes and things. And it means a menstrual cloth. Yes, it means a menstrual cloth. In our language, it's a dirty tampon. God's saying, your attempts at trying to be good, at trying to be righteous and religious, you're trying to prove yourself before God, are like dirty tampons. Now you might be offended at me saying that. But I have to say, I'm just quoting what the Bible is actually saying. In God's sight, that's how ooh, it is. He makes the point again through Paul. Paul in Philippians 3, 4-8. to 8, Paul says, if anyone thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Listen to how religious Paul was. Listen to how hungry for righteousness he was. How pious he was. Verse 5. Circumcised in the eighth day of the children of Israel. A Hebrew of Hebrews in regard to the law. A Pharisee. As for legalistic righteousness faultless but whatever was to my profit i now consider loss for the sake of christ what's more i consider everything loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing christ jesus my lord for whose sake i've lost all things and i consider them rubbish the word rubbish we looked at a couple of weeks ago and you've been memorizing it ever since is the greek words which means done in our language that's crap So here God speaks through Jeremiah, please don't be offended at me, I'm just quoting God, and literally he's saying, your attempts at legalistic righteousness, you being all goods to try and prove yourself before God, is like dirty tampons, and furthermore, it's crap. That's what God says about religion. You notice that Jesus had no problem with the common people in his day, but he had huge problems with the religious people in his day they crucified him. They weren't interested in God. If they had have been, they wouldn't have crucified him. They were interested in piousness. So God strongly is repelled against that kind of stuff. Jesus, later on, a few verses on from this Beatitudes, in verse 20 of Matthew 5, said this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've got to understand how the original audience would have heard that. The scribes and the Pharisees, they were the hardcore ones. They were the ones who had given their lives for free. They weren't being paid to be scribes and Pharisees. They were voluntarily living a religious life. They were so legalistic, adhering to the laws of Moses. They tithed everything, including their herbs. Imagine taking your window basket and saying, that flower's for the church, you're a nutcase that's what they did they fasted twice a week they were so religious their standards of morality seemingly was way up here all society knew this now Jesus turns around and says if your righteousness doesn't exceed their righteousness then you're not going to get into the kingdom of heaven you can imagine how the common person felt Joe who's a carpenter thinks flip what chance have I got then If they're not going to get in, what chance have I got? And you see, the problem was they pursued right religion, not relationship. They pursued legalistic religion rather than an authentic relationship with the living God. And then when God was right in front of them, see, I believe Jesus wasn't just a man. I believe he was God, is God, in the flesh. And when God was right in front of them, they wanted to crucify him. They weren't interested in God even though they talked about God often. They were interested in being religious. And there are many people today who will claim to be religious, but have no interest in God. They think they're good enough, but they're in famine. This leads us to a true pursuit of righteousness. What is that? A true pursuit of righteousness. True hungering and thirsting for righteousness, I believe, is hungering and thirsting for a relationship with God. It's interesting, When at the beginning of creation, the Bible says that God placed mankind in a garden. The garden was called Eden. The word Eden in Hebrew means pleasure. So there was a place, and what hallmarked Eden? Well, you read your Bible, you see that man walked with God. There was a relationship between man and God. Isn't it interesting that the name of that garden was pleasure? The byproduct of that relationship was Pleasure and when humankind sins we were expelled from the garden and not only did pleasure die that was just the byproducts the big thing that died was a relationship with the God who made us so humankind's been walking away from God and we're more upset that we haven't got pleasure anymore but the bigger deal is we should be deeply famished for righteousness that's the big deal Isaiah 59 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you. It's sin that separated that relationship between us and God. True relationship, I believe, is about is true pursuit of righteousness, is about a relationship with God. Let's take an example from the Bible the prodigal son. Here we have a lad growing up in the home of a wealthy man, and he decides stuff, my dads, I don't like this relationship anymore. I wanted to do my own thing. I'm going to have more happiness, more pleasure of doing my own thing. So the son asks the father, give me my share of the inheritance. And amazingly, the father agrees to give him his share of the inheritance. The son gets all this money, hasn't got the wisdom to handle it, goes away and pursues every lust and every pleasure he can get his hands on. Pursues sin, pursues uh, prostitutes, pursues all sorts of stuff, and he's got lots of friends, It seems. Until he's got no money left, and his friends leave him, and it isn't so nice anymore. And then it kicks in, Luke 15, 14. It says, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. This parable's a picture of the whole globe and humankind's condition before God. And he began to be in need, so he went and hired himself to a citizen of the country, who sent him to feed the pigs. Listen, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods, that the pigs were eating. He was hungry. But no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have food enough to spare? And here I am starving to death. He's not just hungry now. Now he's starving. I will set out and go back to my father. Skipping out to verse 20. So when he got up and went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, the father saw him. Filled with compassion for him and ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. Isn't that beautiful? That's exactly how God responds to us when we respond to him. He's waiting for us, he's not forcing us, he's waiting for us to respond. As soon as we start taking a step towards him, he runs and embraces you. He is intensely in love with you, even though we've rebelled against him, even though we've ignored him. He is intensely in love with you. Isn't it amazing that when he was hungry, he wanted to eat the pig's food, but when he was starving, he wanted to go back to the father. You see, it takes humanity a wake-up call to realize your issues aren't lack of pleasure. Your issues isn't that you're not satisfied in life. Your issue is you're not in relationship with God. That's the ultimate. Deal with that before anything else, and then pleasures and all that will come after. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. David says, As, my, as a deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So don't seek for righteousness so you can say, I'm righteous, and act all holier than now. Seek for righteousness because I want to know God. I want to please Him. I want to be in relationship with Him. I want my life to bring Him honor. That's the pursuit we're on here Some of you Came to church Or come to church Because you're looking for satisfaction and fulfillment in life You're looking for answers Looking for reasons To be alive You're aware of an emptiness And you're longing for some sort of peace and satisfaction And you know what In church you'll find that If that's the As deep as your desire goes Then you might not be getting the real thing you have to understand that the lack of satisfaction, you don't need a painkiller, folks, you need a cure. <laughs> don't pursue the, the surface issue, the byproduct. Pursue the go for the jugular. The issue is sin, and the issue is relationship with God. Pursue Him. Fall in love with Him. That's where your satisfaction will lie. Then it, Jesus said, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, that they shall be satisfied. Now, folks this is the gospel. This is the gospel. How can you be satisfied? This is it. The fact is you can never satisfy yourself with righteousness. You can't do it. We've already heard what God thinks about people who have tried to be self-righteous before him. You can't do it yourself. Righteousness is a gift. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That's your job. For they shall be satisfied. That's God's job. God satisfies you. He gives you a gift called righteousness. Let's go back to Paul. Philippians 3, 8 and 9. What's more, I consider everything lost compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So he's saying, I've been religious. I've been like a Pharisee. I've been upright. I've ticked all the boxes. But that's rubbish. I know God now. He's saying it's about relationship, not about religion for whose sake I've lost all things I count them rubbish that I may gain Christ listen, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law in other words, I've done all the things the law says, I've ticked all the boxes I've done all my ABC's, I've earned my brownie points before God, now I surely must be righteous he's saying, no no, I haven't got that I haven't got a righteousness that comes from the law but rather a righteousness that comes from God that is by faith say that with me that comes from God's and is by faith, say it with me again, that comes from God, and is by faith. Get righteous, and that's not about being pious, it's about being relating with God. And it comes by faith. There's a story written about in a medical center in in Kenya, where there was a little eight-year-old girl called Monica, had fallen into a pit, and she'd broken her leg at the bottom of this pit. An older lady, Mama Najiri, was walking along, and she saw the little girl in the pit. And she went down in the pit to rescue the little girl. And when she was in the pit, there was a, a cobra was there. And it bit both Monica, the little eight-year-old, and Mama Najiri. Mama Najiri got bitten first. They were both rushed to hospital. Tragically, the next, Mama Najiri never woke up. But the little girl survived. And the nurse speaking to the little girl said this. The reason you survived was because Mama Najiri, when she was bitten by the cobra, she got all the poison. So when the cobra bit you, there was no more poison left. I believe the reason you can be righteous is because something huge took place 2,000 years ago. An exchange took place. It's described in 2 Corinthians 5.21 where it says, God made him who knew no sin, this is Jesus, To become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What took place there was when Jesus was on the cross, Jesus had lived sin-free. Now, he'd been tempted like us, but he had not yielded one moment. So when he dies on that cross, in that moment, the Bible says that God made him sin. All your sin, all my sin, all my perversion, all your crazy thoughts, all your attitudes... All my mentality and pride, all your stuff that's going on, all my stuff that's going on was placed on Jesus. He became your sin, and he died in your place. He took the poison, the sin, the thing that broke the relationship with God in the first place. He took that. He died in your place, and in exchange, he offers you righteousness. Wow. Well, I like it. On the third day, he rose again. He's alive. He's alive. But Paul says, I haven't got a righteousness that comes by being good or by obeying the law. I've got a righteousness that comes through faith in him. Paul's faith is in the Jesus who took the poison for him. And when you put your faith in Jesus who died for you on the cross and who rose again, then the Bible says you receive a gift. It's called the gift of righteousness. You become righteous. And you might be one day A believer. And you're still struggling with the drugs. But in the sight of God, you're as righteous as you'll ever be. In fact, you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You're not the righteousness of man, you're the righteousness of God. You could be a, a guy and you're still struggling with the perverted thoughts. But the moment you believe in Jesus, you're the righteousness of God. That's huge. I didn't deserve that. You didn't deserve that. And yet it's God's gift. It's not about being religious. This is about receiving a gift that was paid for at his expense so you could be in relationship with God. That's amazing. It's like in, we didn't see this last night, but if someone had got an extra goal in last night, usually what happens is the winning team strips off and gives the losing team their shirts, their sweaty shirts, And then the vice versa. So the winning team looks like the losing team, and the losing team looks like the winning team, right? That's what usually happens. But it's funny, last night they didn't do that because no one won, but they all stripped off anyway. (laughs) That's weird. It's like naked and sweaty running around in front of thousands of people, all right? Interesting. They didn't do that last night, but hopefully in the World Cup we're going to see this. We're going to see winning teams swapping jerseys with the losing team. So the winning team now looks like the losing team, and the losing team now looks like the winning team. That's exactly what took place on the cross. Jesus is the winning team, and yet. He was made to look like the losing team as he hung and died a criminal's death, taking your sin upon him, in order that you can be clothed in righteousness. And you, the loser, me, the loser, can become the winner before God. That's what we're talking about. So Jesus said hunger and thirst for that. I know this is what he's talking about. Later on in Matthew Matthew 6, 33, it says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It doesn't say pursue your own righteousness. It says seek his righteousness righteousness. So that's the beginning. It's the, but let me say, it's, we're called to an ongoing pursuit of righteousness. The two words, hunger and thirst, planeo and dipseo, these words apparently are both present tense participles, which means they are not just talking about at one point in your past you hungered and thirsted. It's saying that it's a continuous action. It's a way of life you're constantly hungering, constantly thirsting for righteousness. First, your hunger and thirst was to get right with God, be in relationship with him. Now your hunger and thirst is to live right with God and to continue to please him. You see, when I got married, I pursued relationship with my wife. I dated her. I bought her flowers. I looked all handsome. I did all the stuff, and then I got her. You're mine. Now, sadly, what often happens at that point is you start farting in front of her and not shaving. And, but I have to assure you, that does not happen in my home. But sometimes these guys kind of let the guard down. they become this kind of slob who farts and burps and demands food and, oh, it's great being married. You know if you're wondering why your marriage ain't going so well, right? Carl? it's because of this issue. <laughs> so what you need to do, folks, the key is you don't just put the effort in to get the marriage. You put the effort in to keep the marriage. You still go on dates. You still buy the flowers. Send the text. I'm thinking of you today. Little things, not just the big things, little things. Love you. How are you doing? Considering, being thoughtful I'm not saying I get it always right, but I understand the theory, and I'm trying my best. But here's the deal. You get your relationship with God. Hunger and thirsting for righteousness is, first of all, you can't get it yourself. He's the one who satisfies you with righteousness. It's a gift. You get right with God. That's the beginning. But then from then on, you've got to continually hunger and thirst. In other words, I'm now right with God, so I want to keep walking right with God. Now that I'm saved, I want to let him know that I'm grateful If I just got my wife and then kind of say, all right, I've got you now, I'll just do what I want, that'd be so ungrateful. Imagine I came and cleared the debts that you owed. Imagine you had huge debts and I cleared all your debt for you, but you just kept on right on living like I'd never done it. You just kept spending the money like you always had. That'd be utterly ungrateful. You've got a second chance at life. Live big, live awesome, live God glorifying. Don't live for self, live for him. This is what it means, hunger and thirst for righteousness continually, not just at the beginning, but now. You're walking with him, pursuing with all your heart. You see, I've received righteousness in justification, but now I'm pursuing righteousness in sanctification. Justification is when God gives you his righteousness. Sanctification is how you live now, trying your best to live and honor God. You see, you were made right with God, now live right with God. And I have to say, I'm totally content with my justification. But I'm not so content with my sanctification. I thank God I'm righteous. I don't need to prove a thing to God. I'm accepted totally for all eternity. But I'm a wee bit sad that I'm making such slow progress. I want to please God. Why have I got this issue in my life? Why am I struggling with those thoughts? Why do I keep saying that stupid thing? Work on it. Pursue it. Hunger and thirst. Not out of an attitude, oh, I need to get accepted. No, no, that's done. Tick. 2,000 years ago, saved. And you just believed it and you're changed forever. But now live different. Now live grateful. Paul says in Philippians 2:12, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. This is what he's talking about. It's not that you're not saved. Work out your salvation. You've already got the salvation bit. Now work it out. Live it out now. With an honoring, respecting attitude towards God. Martin Lloyd-Jones, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. It's just two thoughts just to end with. The Christian is the one who at the same, one and the same time is hungering and thirsting and yet he is filled. And the more he is filled, the more he hungers and thirsts. That's weird, but it's true. You see, there's nothing like God to satisfy. I go play football with my little boy. I love it. I love it. And he loves it. And I beat him and he's six. <laughs> but after a while, we get bored of football, and we going to do something else. I love mountain biking. I love getting up the hills and going for an awesome bike ride. But after a while, I'm tired of mountain biking. I love swimming with my family. I love that. But after a while, the novelty wears off. But when I connect with God... When I, I don't mean I sing the songs and just go through the motions. I mean when I actually connect with them, In the worship service, when you met him, you could live in that moment for eternity. In fact, you will. We, we could be there forever. Because there's nothing like that to satisfy the soul. I never get tired of the presence of God. I get tired of religion. I get tired of going through the motions. But I never get tired of the presence of God. And it's that presence that even though it satisfies And I'm totally satisfied like nothing else could satisfy. Yet, I'm hungry for more than ever of God's presence. That's weird, but that's cool. And then finally, talking about Jesus, Hebrews 1, 8 to 9. But to the Son, he says, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Jesus was very extreme. He loved righteousness, and Jesus hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Jesus hated sin and he loved, he pursued, he was passionate about, he hungered and thirsted after righteousness. And what was the result? Oil of gladness. You want to know great satisfaction in life, then don't pursue satisfaction. Don't pursue blessedness or happiness. Pursue relationship with God. And that comes by means of his righteousness. That's life. That's what it's about. Let's pray. Okay, just take a moment in God's presence just to reflect. God has spoken to you. If you feel something has stood out from what we've shared, just take a moment just to apply that in your life. Just talk to God about it. Respond to him in the way you need to respond to him. Father, we want to thank you so much that we're not called to be religious. God, in in our zeal, we can flip into that little trap, and that happens often. But I pray, God, you protect us from religiousness. I pray, God, we'd be authentic before you. I pray, God, we'd have an authentic, deep passion for a relationship with you not to be someone who ticks the boxes not to be someone who appears pious but to be those who authentically pursue you probably nothing else would come near that as far as our passions are concerned God forgive us for when we pursue desires or passions or happiness or satisfaction and it, Neglect pursuing righteousness, a right relationship with you. God, let's be more sad about our relationship with you when that's not going well rather than when life's not going well. God, let's be moved by things you're moved with, Jesus. Let's be like you. Let's love righteousness and hate wickedness, even if it happens to be in our own lives. Most of all, God we want to thank you that we don't need to pursue righteousness as some lifestyle to please you but God you're the one who gives us righteousness as a gift that we can't earn that that we can't be good enough to deserve that but that you give us that in the fullest of measures as a gift to us So that we, the sinners, get to stand before you totally forgiven, totally righteous, eternally accepted. That is amazing, God. Just while we're all praying, just keep reflecting, praying. There might be some here today and you know in your heart you're not in relationship with God it might have been you've been religious maybe maybe you've been to church maybe you've gone through the motions but you're not in relationship with God you don't know him or it might be that you've never been religious in your life but you have known deep within a sense of there must be something more and I'm saying today that God's your answer nothing else a relationship with the God who made you in the first place. That's what you've been longing for. Nothing else will satisfy like that. So if that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I need to be in relationship with God, then I'm going to give you an opportunity just now to make that decision. And I'm going to do this. I'm going to pray a prayer. And I invite you just to pray this prayer with me. Just quietly under your breath. Just repeat this after me. And this is a prayer where you're acknowledging that you're a sinner. You're putting your faith in Jesus who died on the cross and rose again. And you're willing to yield the rest of your life to being a pursuer of God. You want to follow him from now on. So if that's you and you're saying, yes, Peter, I need this relationship with God, then I invite you just just now to pray this prayer with me. Just one line at a time, repeat it after me. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you so much for your incredible love for me. God, I realize I've been living this life not including you. I haven't been in relationship with you, God. Today, God, I want that to change. Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose again on the third day. I acknowledge I need your forgiveness. I need your new start and I want to be in relationship with you, God. Forgive me for all my sins and from now on to the best of my ability I will follow you. Jesus, be the Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Amen. Okay, keep your eyes closed. Keep praying. If that's you and you made that decision, I'd love the privilege of praying for you. In order to know who I'm praying for, I'm just going to ask you to do a simple thing. I'm going to pray for anyone who made that decision just there, just so I know who I'm praying for. Can you just identify yourself just by raising your hand just now and then putting it down again? Put your hand up clear so I can see it. Thanks. Is there anyone else? Thank you anywhere else anywhere else before I pray you prayed that prayer Just quickly put your hand up so I can see it then I'll pray, thank you God I want to thank you for my friends today who in your presence have made this decision they've prayed a prayer, they've asked you for forgiveness and they've decided to follow you Jesus your word is true, your bible is crystal clear that when someone does that In that moment, they are forgiven. In that moment, they have eternal life. And as we've heard today, in that moment, they're given a gift called righteousness. I pray God, help them by your spirit to pursue you from this day forward. In Jesus' name.